Welcome to this Vetfolio educational podcast brought to you in part by Merck Animal Health. We're pleased that you've decided to join us as we explore the topic of fleas and ticks and why year-round protection is important and how to institute it with our guest speaker, Dr. Craig Pryor. Born and raised in Australia, Dr. Pryor represented Australia at the 1982 World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee, before graduating from the University of Queensland in Brisbane with a degree in veterinary medicine in 1984. He moved to the United States in 1985 and joined the staff of Murphy Road Animal Hospital in 1986. He has served as a subject matter expert to Today at Home on Home and Garden TV, Fox and Friends on the Fox News Channel, The Daily Buzz, and The Talk of the Town, and has even been quoted in the New York Times on the subject of pet obesity and dog fancy on the subject of canine osteoarthritis. In addition, Dr. Pryor is a veterinary consultant to international PR companies and ad agencies. Dr. Pryor is also the president of the Companion Animal Parasite Council. Dr. Pryor, we'd like to turn things over to you. Well, thanks for having me here today. I'm excited to be here and talk to you about why we need to engage clients and get them to use year-round protection against fleas and ticks, a sometimes very frustrating and troubling subject to get clients to understand. The biggest thing is when do clients use a flea and tick product? Well, we tend to find that they will only use it when they see the nasty little buggers, fleas and ticks. And oftentimes when they see them and it's using, it's too late and now we've got a major problem on our hands. So let's sort of dive into this by just looking back at fleas and ticks and what their life cycle is like, what they transmit, and then we'll move on and talk about the compliance gaps with owners and what the trouble is with that as well. So starting off with fleas, we know that fleas, once they take a jump on a host and take a blood meal, that fleas are at that point an obligate ectoparasite, meaning that they don't jump from dog to dog, cat to cat, unless there are so many fleas on that animal that the pressure becomes so high that they may move. But typically, they stay on that host. And so we can solve flea problem because they're obligate ectoparasites. So the adult flea takes a blood meal, lays eggs, which fall off the host in the environment, they hatch out into little maggot-like larva that crawl around and feed off the adult flea and then they eventually spin a cocoon, become the pupa stage, which then will hatch out into the adult flea that then seeks a host, and the life cycle starts again. So because the adult flea is an obligate ectoparasite on that host, we can control the adult flea, we can control the eggs, we can control the, the maggot-like larva. Nothing can get to the pupa to kill it, and it'll hatch, hatch out from anywhere from a week to six months later, and that's why we see fleas last through winters and things like that, and then we get explosions in flea infestations when we have vacant houses while people are on vacation and they come back and suddenly they have a flea problem because you've got the pupa all emerging once you've got vibration, heat, and CO2 in the environment, so they sense that there's a host there. As far as diseases that fleas transmit, CAPCVET.org, so the Companion Animal Parasite lists them out this way. They talk about the annoyance and pruritus are the most common complaints you hear from clients, but you then can have iron deficiency anemia in young animals. Centenocephalidae felis transmits rickettsia typhi, rickettsia felis, bartonella, dipalidium caninum, and some other parasites. They can also transmit 
hemoplasmas, which are formerly known as hemobotanella, now known as mycoplasma species, Yersinia pestis, and tularemia. And then we've got the big thing, flea allergy dermatitis due to hypersensitivity to the angiogenic material from the salivary glands for fleas. So that's the main points about our fleas. But what about ticks? So, you know, there's four major ticks we deal with in the United States. First one is the Lone Star Tick, Amblyoma americanum. So the big problem with ticks is that they're really nasty. People don't like to look at ticks. It grosses them out. But it's not so much the tick that's the issue. It's what the diseases that the ticks transmit. So the Lone Star Tick transmits human monocytic ehrlichiosis, canine granulocytic ehrlichiosis, southern tick-associated rash illness, tularemia, and cytoxazoonosis, an often fatal blood parasite of cats. The next tick is the American dog tick, or the, and also you can group in with that the Rocky Mountain wood tick. So these are in the group Dermacenter. They will transmit cytoxazoonosis, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which affects both dogs and humans, tick paralysis, and also tularemia. The next major group of ticks are the black-legged tick or the deer tick, which is the Exodes scapularis, and the western black-legged tick, which is Exodes pacificus. This is really the best-known disease that we get people hear about from ticks, which is Lyme disease. You can also get human granulocytic anaplasmosis, human babesiosis, and then tick paralysis, but that's not caused by the Exodes pacificus. The last tick is the brown dog tick, Ripicephalus sanguineus. So it transmits canine monocytic ehrlichiosis, canine babesiosis, infectious canine cyclic thrombocytopenia, babesiosis, and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So we've got lots of nasty, nasty diseases that these ticks can transmit. And I'll also throw in there one other tick, the Gulf Coast tick as well. The big thing people need to understand about the ticks is that ticks spend less than 10% of their life on the hosts. And remember, these are all three-host life cycle ticks. They have multiple hosts. And these hosts can be any type of mammal, dogs, cats, humans, deer, raccoons, you name it. But they can also be birds. Certain ticks will go for certain amphibians. And they live in different areas, like Ripicephalus sanguineus. Actually, it's the species that prefers to infest human dwellings and kennels. So they're in different areas. But 10% of the life cycle on the hosts... Most of the life cycle is off the host. There's three different hosts during that life cycle. And so the adult tick, the female, will have a blood meal. She'll drop off the host once engorged, and she can lay, depending on the tick, anywhere from 2,000 to 18,000 eggs in the environment. They will hatch out into the larva, which will then quest, which is seeking a host. And when ticks quest, they don't drop out of trees. They climb up onto bushes and long grass. And as their hosts walk by, they attach that way. They grasp onto the host and then attach and they feed. They engorge. They drop off. They then become the nymph, which will then quest, attach to a host, feed, engorge, and drop off, and become the adult, and then quest, attach to a host, feed, drop off, and life cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. They can live over three years off the host. This is the big issue 
you know, we can't get to them because we don't know where they are. They're living off the host. And, you know, these ticks can last a long time without a feed. In fact, I was actually in Dr. Susan Little's lab at Oklahoma State University a, a year or so ago, and she had a packet of ticks that were in a sealed packet. The only thing they were able to get was air through this sealed packet. And they were being sitting on her laboratory desk for about seven or eight months, no food, no water, and they were just happy as can be. So these are just hardy little boogers. If people can understand the tick and the tick life cycle, they can understand how it is so hard to be able to control tick problem. So we have to consider doing environmental control as well. We have to educate clients on environmental control and simple things like keeping your grass mode short, creating a barrier between wooded areas and your yard, a three-foot mulch strip, something that's unattractive for a tick to want to cross because a tick will quest towards a host from up to 60 feet away. Also, people need to understand that ticks are very, very hardy as far as temperature goes. If the temperature is over 40 degrees outside, ticks are questing, even if there's snow on the ground. And snow will actually act like an insulator. The ticks will stay underneath the top layer of snow, and they, as soon as the temperature hits 40 degrees, they'll pop out and they'll start questing. They'll start looking for hosts. So if you live in the northeast and there's three foot of snow on the ground and it's over 40 degrees, you still have the potential for a tick problem. Then people need to understand if they look at when ticks feed, if they map out when the adult feeds, the larva feeds, and the nymph feeds, and they map that out over the year, ticks don't feed 365 days of the year. The ticks feed 12 months of the year. That's what the client needs to understand. Ticks are feeding 12 months of the year. There is no break when there's a month without a tick. That's the biggest problem. So let's talk about the problems we're having with clients. We call this compliance gaps. So let's talk about compliance itself. What actually is compliance? Compliance to me is not a measure of how well my practice is doing compared to a practice down the street. My definition of compliance is it's literally a measure of how well you're caring for your patients or communicating with your clients. It's an internal measure that you can actually document in your practice and it's a direct measure, again, of how well you're caring for your patients or communicating with your clients. It's expensive to get new clients in the door. It's cheaper to keep the clients you have. And the greatest source of new revenue is within your own practice management database. And how do you mine that? Well, compliance is one of the ways you do that. If you start measuring compliance, you will find huge opportunities within your practice. So let's actually look at some compliance figures. So a large hospital chain, so like them or hate them, corporate practices are here to stay, and they're very good at crunching numbers and very good at pulling up compliance data. One of the large hospital chains has actually measured their compliance, and what they've found with flea tick products, some interesting facts. The average client uses 1.9 months of a flea tick product a year. That's less than two months of the year. That's terrible. And to me, it is very, very representative of practices all over the U.S. We all think we do a better job than we do. We can all think of those clients that will buy us, buy 12 months of a fleet product from us, and we'll go, wow, look at how well we're doing. 
what we don't realize is that 65% of our clients walk out of our clinics without buying anything. So what do they do when these clients see a flea or a tick? Well, they're going somewhere and they're buying something, but they're not buying it from us. And so they're buying what I consider oftentimes an inferior product at a big box store because they're walking into our clinics at best a couple of times a year, but they're walking into these big box stores once a month or more. And so they have a better opportunity to engage these clients and sell them what I, again, consider an inferior product. We have the better products. We know our clients. We know their lifestyle. We know their pets. We're the best advise them on what to use. So there is an absolute huge opportunity for us to go after the 65%. So, you know, oftentimes our finding practices that a new product will come out, we get really excited about it, and we sell the heck out of this new product and think we're doing a really good job. But what the large hospital chain is also finding is that when these new products come out and we get excited and start selling them, what we're doing is cannibalizing within that 35% of clients that will buy stuff from us. We're not making inroads into the 65% of clients that leave our practices without buying anything. There's the gold mine. There's the opportunity. So we have to be able to firstly measure compliance and ask you, are you measuring compliance? And you can start, you know, do this, start off small. And that's the way I did it. I actually sat down and worked out everything I wanted to measure compliance on and I looked at, this is overwhelming, so I started small. And so the first thing I looked at was measuring fecal compliance, and that was the number of, of fecal tests. The number of fecal tests that I was doing was about 35%, and it should actually be 50%. And so if you take the number of total exams that are done in your practice, you should have 50% of that number should be fecals done as well. And so that's a good way of measuring it. So when you look at that and you say, okay, my fecal compliance is 35%, what can I do? Well, find out what the compliance gap is. And so it's often it's to do with staff training, that we haven't trained our staff well enough. And so it's, it's on anything you can talk about. What is your flea message? What is your tick message? Have we trained our staff well enough? Then you often find that you have staff turnover. So, you know, we have staff turnover, you lose a couple of members and they're trained members and you get new members in that aren't trained well enough and we haven't been able to train them up to the standard we want. And so you don't have message with them. And then oftentimes I find that there's message drift within practices. So I make sure that every year at the start of flea tick season, and really there is no start of flea tick season, but if you listen to the drug companies, you know, February, March at the start of flea tick season, it's just a good reminder to me, and this at that time of the year, I do an educational seminar for all my staff and reset what our expectations are, what our messages are, make sure that they understand the products, and that way we reset and not have so much message drift. But, you know, the opportunity is the 65% of clients that don't buy anything from us. The other issue we get is that what do you think clients do when there's no fleas or no ticks on their animals anymore, they stop using the products because you know what? The products worked. Well, clients need to understand is the only reason the products work is because you continue to use them. And so a great analogy is that, you know, you don't stop mowing the lawn just because the grass is short. You have to continue to mow it to keep it short. And that's the same with fleas and ticks. If you don't want fleas, if you don't want ticks, you have to use the products on a regular basis as per label directions. 
So if we can engage that 65%, we have so much opportunity. To me, it's like I'm going to continue to engage the 35% that are buying things from me because they will, and I want to reinforce the message with them. But my target is now the 65% that are buying products elsewhere that I wouldn't use on my own animals. So we want to go after them, and so how do we do that? And so we'll talk about that in the next segment. Thank you to all of our listeners for spending time with us. We hope that you found the information shared in this session useful. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, please be sure to check out our related programs, which you can access from vetfolio.com. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for their support. Let us know what you thought about this session or what topics you would like to hear on a future podcast. You can reach out to the Vetfolio team at support at vetfolio.com.